It's time to accelerate. Hi, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Join me as I host conversations with the leading experts in sales, marketing, sales automation, sales process, leadership, management, training, coaching, any resource that I believe to help you accelerate the growth of your sales, your business, and most importantly, you. Hello, and welcome to Accelerate. I'm excited to be joined for the third time on the show by my guest today, Jeb Blount. He's the CEO of Sales Gravy. He's an author, keynote speaker, sales acceleration strategist, and author of a great new book titled Sales EQ, How Ultra-High Performers Leverage Sales-Specific Emotional Intelligence to Close the Complex Deal. So, quite a title. Jeb, welcome back. Thank you, Andy. I'm glad to be back, and thanks for having me on your show. Oh, a pleasure to have you back. So, Maybe for people that uh, you know didn't catch one of the first two episodes or you know live in a cave somewhere, tell us a little bit about yourself just so they know who you are. I'm the CEO of Sales Gravy. I've written eight books in sales. I spend 200 and last year I did 270 days on the road. So I do about 200 <laughs> keynotes a year. Uh, we we um, I run and, Sales Gravy. And you wrote a book. And I've written I've written eight books, and um, I've spent this year doing putting together Sales EQ. Um, this is a follow up book to, to Fanatical Prospecting, which has been a worldwide bestseller. And I spend most of my time helping sales organizations, sales people, uh, accelerate their results through training and development, through coaching, through designing you know the sales force and the infrastructure as both a consultant and a trainer. And you know we've got a our firm is growing rapidly so we've we've been adding trainers and consultants and um, we're uh, we're running pretty much every day these days we're, <laughs> we're growing that fast which is a good thing so the not only the, is the economy good and doing well but I think that the message and our, our methodology is resonating with at least with our clients so tell people how you travel 270 days a year and manage to write a book you don't sleep. No, I, well, I, mean, I get plenty of sleep. I, you know, well, but, I block, but we I'm, talk about time management. We, we were just talking before we came on the air about Jill Conrad's new book about personal productivity. So, you know, clearly this is a topic people are concerned about in sales. So, I mean, you're, you're selling, you're presenting, and you're writing a book. You know, how are you allocating your time to do that? I, I get more done than most people do, mostly because I use something called time blocking. And what time blocking is, is I, I set short periods of time. And I do one thing inside those periods of time. You, you can't you can't multitask as a human being. Mm-hmm. Our brains aren't made to multitask. Our brains will switch back and forth, you know, rapidly from one task to the other, giving you the illusion that you're multitasking, but you're really not. So I typically block my time into small pieces. I use every moment wisely. When I'm on an airplane, I'm working, and airplanes are my office. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do I do tend to fly first class, which makes it a little bit easier for me, and I pay for that to allow myself the freedom and time to work with a plug that I can hook my computer mm, in. Sure. But, you know, a lot of it's just a decision. I mean, it's intentional. Uh, you know, my, my wife told me this weekend, she goes, I said, well, I said, well, I just finished this book. I've got three more to do. And she looked at me and she said, you're going to be living all by yourself if you do another book this year. But that's, she says that every time I do a book, it's tough. Uh, it's not easy. It's a decision. Now, it's not a lifestyle for everybody. I tell people all the time, people say, how do you do this? I go, well, you know, I love what I do. I enjoy the fact that, um, you know, last week I was in Amsterdam. I was in Italy. I was in Raleigh. I was in Biloxi. 
So on Tuesday night, I gave a, a presentation, or Monday night, I gave a presentation in Italy. On Tuesday morning, excuse me, Wednesday morning, I was in a software group in Raleigh, North Carolina. And on Thursday, I was in front of a financial services group in Biloxi. And some people say, you know, why would you do that to yourself? And for me, I love it. I enjoy what I do. It's a, it's an amazing thing that people are willing to pay me to talk. I mean, it's, I mean, how many people get to pay to talk? <laughs> and, many, right? And it's so I enjoy. It. And but every one of those, every one of those speeches, every one of those, those, those moments where I'm standing in front of a group of people, no matter where I am in the world, that has a tendency to turn into more opportunity for us. We get to know people, mm-hmm. and it builds, you know, not only builds your brand, but it gets you, you get to meet people that you otherwise wouldn't. Now, most people say, well, how, how in the world could you do that and you know, spend that many days away from home, that many days on the road? It's a choice. It's not everybody's choice. It's just my choice. And you just have to like what you do. If, if I hated what I was doing, it would be a, a really a horrible way to live. But I like it. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you didn't like it, people wouldn't be inviting you to speak. I mean, that's right. True. <laughs> it's true. But you wouldn't have the same passion in front of an audience if you yeah. thought, God, I really dread this. All right. So let's talk about your new book, Sales EQ. We had, in fact, one of the last times you were on here, we were talking about your previous book, Fanatical Prospecting, which was an excellent book, as is Sales EQ. So tell us just briefly summarize what the book is about and uh, what was the impetus to write the book now? Well, you know, I've spent, I'd say I spent at least 10 years, but probably 20 years of my life trying to understand what is it. And, and by the way, this is not a pursuit that is that is unique to me. This is a, I think a pursuit for anyone who's in sales. Mm-hmm. And it's probably a pursuit for anyone who's in any type of skill-based position like sports or what have you. But I've been in pursuit of what's the formula? Like, what is it that makes people really, really good at sales? And I call them ultra high performers. So typically when we start looking at sales teams and when back in the corporate world, when I was a vice president of sales and we were looking at comp plans or looking at how we would decide how to build quotas, we used a lot of data like, you know, the top 20% mm-hmm. produced the 80% of the revenue, you know, get most of the, of the, um, of the commission checks. But, but there's another group and this is the group that say in the top 5% or the top 2% or the top 1%. And they're there all the time. Like they never leave that. And you, you know this because mm-hmm. you've been in sales organizations and you've seen that there's these perennial winners every single right. year. And they're so much better than everybody else, not just a little bit. And I've, that's the group I've been in pursuit of. I'm, I'm, I'm not really into, you know, the top 20%. I mean, they're, they're there. Then there are people that are good. There are people who are great, but there are people who are ultra high performers. What is it that they're doing differently than everyone else? Because it's not a talent level and it's certainly not a skill level because the companies that I work with have great hiring practices. They bring in really, really good people. So I started dialing into mm-hmm. that. What are, what are the traits of these ultra high performers? And the thing that I that I settled on were a couple of things. One is that they are they, they are disciplined and obsessed with win probability. Ultra high performers don't spend their time. You and I were talking mm-hmm. about time a few minutes ago. They don't spend their precious time working on deals that are low probability. Everything right. they do is high probability. That's how they play play the game of sales. And they're also um, they're also you know focused on their time. They, they, they make sure that they're putting great stuff in their, in their funnel. And, and that's one part of the formula. And then the other part of the formula is that they're virtuosos with people. I mean, they're just fantastic at dealing with human beings. So they, they load their, their, I guess their dice mm-hmm. by a making sure that they're, they're, they're putting high quality prospects in the funnel and they they, they take that to the next level by being so good with people. 
And one of the ways that they're able to do that is they're able to manage their own disruptive emotions. So when we look at EQ or emotional intelligence, um, what we've dialed into is a couple of things. A, it's specific to sales. The sales relationship or the commercial relationship is artificial. Two people get together or in you know complex mm-hmm. deals, multiple people get together for the sole purpose of putting together a deal that benefits both groups. So, but that's not, we're not friends. We're not, we're not doing anything like it's not a leader, mm-hmm. um, you know, follower. It's not a parent. It's not a teacher. It's not a cop on the beat. This is a completely artificial commercial relationship. And inside that relationship, all the parties are trying to work in their own best interest mm-hmm. and they distrust all the other parties. So what ultra high performers are fantastic at is managing those relationships, managing the emotions of other people, influencing those decisions by using these amazing human you know, influence frameworks and at the same time being aware of and being able to manage the disruptive emotions that get in their way. Okay. And if you think about average salespeople and you think about salespeople as a whole, the, the number one reason why salespeople fail is not all the stuff that we think about. It's their inability to manage their own emotions in the face of dealing with the emotions of a stakeholder. Okay. There's a lot in there that we're going to unpack. So okay. <laughs> bit by bit. So, um, so the first one is to think about when you talk about, you know, people are, you know, the ultra high performers are people that have really highly developed people skills is, you know, the first thing most people are going to think is, well, that means they're an extrovert. And that's not the case of what you're talking about at all. No, I don't think that being an introvert or an extrovert has any impact on whether you're going to be great or poor in sales. I mean, there's, there is enough evidence to tell you that introverts are fantastic in sales. Why? Because they're willing to listen. And listening to other human beings is a, a meta skill in sales. I mean, it's, it's, you, you make emotional connections that mm-hmm. way. You pull people in. You gather information. Now, the, the flip side of that, of being an introvert, is you have these – um, these disruptive emotions of fear and right. insecurity and doubt when you have to put yourself out there and go out and interrupt people. So for an introvert, the biggest issue for them is I, I'm not very good at getting stuff into my pipeline or I have to be able to manage my disruptive emotions so that I can go out and interrupt people and bring them into my pipeline. And I can be more assertive in the process of moving deals and shepherding deals through the pipeline. On the flip side of it, extroverts you know, are fantastic at bringing things in. They're they're amazing hunters, but they have a tendency to want to take center stage when they're in sales calls, which is you know a, a, the antithesis of dealing with human beings because right. nobody cares what you have to say. So if you want to build an emotional connection with another person, you have to do that. So for me, it's not introvert or extrovert. It's something called dual process. And what dual process is is the ability to at one one moment stand in the shoes of your stakeholder. When I say stakeholders, when we look at complex deals, there's typically an array of people that you're mm-hmm. dealing with. So I, instead of saying buyer, I just call right. everybody stakeholders. But it's standing in that person's shoes while not forgetting what the outcome of the deal is. So I'm, I'm here to get to the next step. I'm here to close something. I'm here to get information. So I, I can do both things at the same time. This, by the way, is one of the core traits of ultra performers. They're able to do both things. And if you if you just think about like this, you know, there's a lot of people out there who are really good at relationships. They can build great relationships. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of people in our space who are sales experts who I hear all the time, you know, sales is about building relationships. I hear executives say the same thing. And if you read any of my work, you would think that I was the same person. But I don't believe sales is about building relationships. I think sales is about closing deals. It's about, <laughs> it's about selling stuff. And like when I meet people and they say, I really want to be in sales because I'm a people person. My first 
my first advice to them is go do something else because people, people don't usually do very well in sales because the relationships gets in the way of the outcome. Right. So, so you have to be able to do both of those things. You have to, at, at one moment, be able to connect with and influence the emotions of a buyer. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, you have to manage your own disruptive emotions to be – or your need or your attachment to being liked and accepted and being able to take center stage so you can get out of the way and allow the person to make decisions and get to your outcome. Right. I don't know if that makes any sense. Oh, yeah, it does. And I think one of the, the core premises that you talk about, which yeah, I, I believe I've spoken about in my second book, is that you know, decisions are fundamentally – emotional based. And you know, you say that, you know, salespeople delude themselves into believing that buyers make rational, logical decisions based on empirical data and information. And, you know, really what the science shows is people make emotional decisions for logical reasons, right? Emotions drive it, then they backfill with the rationalizations. So how how do salespeople become to sort of come to grips with this, right? I mean, how do you advise people that because I'll give you an example. I, mean, I, I was uh, working with this one company, and we were going to sell this huge deal to this very large telecommunications company that I won't, won't mention. We were going to do a custom product development for them. I took the CEO down with me to my CEO down to meet with their CEO. And, and we leave the meeting, and he goes, there's no way we're getting that business. I said, what do you mean? He says, well, they've got 300 engineers sitting in that office that they're paying that are gonna, they will pay to develop that product before they give it to us. I said, but... You know, they don't trust their interior inside people to get it done. But he was an engineer. No, it's just black and white. There was no gray. You know, and it's it's like didn't understand the emotional component of it. Yeah, I think that the you know the the reality is is that you have two different ways you can you can do things. So if you were to read the first two chapters of this book, you if you read them as in a in a vacuum, your conclusion would be, well, why invest any of my time in building skills and doing process because buyers are completely irrational, and they are, and you are, and I am. I mean, that's how our brain sure. works. You're exactly right. But the thing is, is that it's in inside of this this bubble of this commercial relationship, there are frameworks that, that ultra high performance or UHPs use in order to to in, basically bend or shape win probability in their favor. So instead of just rolling the dice on the emotions of the buyer, you begin shaping and influencing those emotions through what you do. In other words, you mm-hmm. start using or, or leveraging brain science in your favor. And and a great deal of this, and this is what's missing in some in some <laughs> cases, and, and, so, and so there's actually a number of books that are written around influence and frameworks, and almost none of them address the, your own issues. Like the same things that are driving your prospect's brain are driving your brain. Right. So for salespeople, we have to understand that we're irrational too. So in order for us to manage our own irrational emotions. We have to become a aware of them, mm-hmm. and we have to become and, and get in control of them and understand that. So it begins with, for example, the sales process. I mean, being able to understand your sales process and, and recognize that a sales process is a linear system that is basically designed around the way a buyer's irrational brain makes decisions. So you have to know that. You also have to understand that your buyer has a process as well. And most companies, like you're talking about a company that's 300 engineers, there's a process that they use to vet deals. Mm -hmm. They put the process in place because they know the people that are buying are irrational, so they want a linear process in place. What salespeople have to recognize is that if their sales process and the buying process are out of sync, then your emotions are out of sync. So salespeople have to learn how to bend the buying process to, 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 to connect with their sales process. And a great example of that mm-hmm. is you get an RFP and the RFP comes in and the RFP says, give us all this information and then we're going to get it in, vet the RFPs and we'll call you to come do a presentation. 
Well, if you get one of those and it's blind and you fill it out, your chances of selling it are pretty pretty low. Very slim, right? the reason is, is because you didn't co- do any of the emotional connections. You didn't right. get to know people. You didn't do any discovery. So those, that part of the sales process is built on building that emotion or building that, that, that emotional connection. That just didn't happen. So as a salesperson, instead of the emotion of, oh, my God, I've got an RFP. Let me fill this out and get it to them really quickly. Eagerness, which is a disruptive emotion. Ultra high performers step back and say, win probability on a blind RFP is zero. If I cannot change the way the buying process works, in other words, if I can't mm-hmm. reshape that by calling up the prospect and say, I will not fill out your RFP until I can do this, meet mm-hmm. with you, understand mm-hmm. you, do a walkthrough, what have you, the ultra performer says, if I can do that, then I'll engage. If I can't do that, then I'm going to move on to something else. So they have these mechanisms in place. And then you have to also recognize when you talk about irrational behavior that every stakeholder is irrationally making a decision. So there's three basic processes, right? There's the sales process, buying process, and decision process. Mm-hmm. And as a salesperson, you have to use the, the mechanisms that you have in place that allow you to shape and, and align all three of those prospects uh, processes. And when you do that, by the way, you get serendipity. I mean, you get to the point where you start moving win probabilities into like the 100% range. And again, that begins with qualifying. I mean, you have to have qualifying processes in place that match your specific situation. And I don't believe in one size fits all for sales, but you have that in place so that you have, again, a gateway that is rational, that allows you to manage your emotions about an opportunity against some empirical evidence that says, this is what the truth is, this is what I feel, and then I can make a rational decision about where I'm going to spend my time. And so as a salesperson, you have to recognize that A, the way you do things and the way your buyer does things is completely irrational and it's all driven by emotion. And you have to recognize that your job as a salesperson is to influence the emotions of the buyer, to respond appropriately to those while managing your own disruptive emotions that get in the way of influence. And the way you manage your disruptive emotions is you have to have systems in place that allow you to do that and then recognize where your emotions are getting in the way so that when that's happening – Using that awareness, you're able to interrupt that emotion that has a potential to derail your deal. Okay, so that's a lot. Yeah, so and it's it's good stuff. But so let's let's we sort of talked about this a little bit before. So there are you know swaths of our sales business that you know there are experts that say, look, the science of selling is is not about the neuroscience and the social psychology and so on. It's all about the data. Right. If we look at our data, because we've got these technologies, we have a lot of transparency into our processes. That and there's somebody that you know made the statement in a blog post you know, earlier this year. I guess it was in 2016, which was, you know, you're crazy if you think there's still an art of selling. It's all about the science, meaning the data. So, so in those situations where you know it's all about the data, the salespeople have a certain fear that if they're not sort of doing these prescribed steps. You know that that you know they don't even get a chance really to engage in the emotion because it's all about sort of this brute force process to to prospect and develop prospects and so on. So how do how do salespeople you know put themselves in a position where they can start putting some of this into work? Right? I mean, feel liberated enough to sort of be in control because I think this is one of the one of the big issues I see is that you know it's great, absolutely agree with what you're saying about the EQ, but it seems like we have sort of put too many salespeople in a position where they just feel like they really can't begin to sort of exercise the advice you're giving. I, you know, I, I 
buy that to a point, Andy, but I don't buy it all the way. I, I because I, I work with customers and I have, I have clients that are everywhere from you know startup software, mm-hmm. SaaS companies, cloud companies to you know um, you know national um, professional sports to transportation to healthcare to financial services. My firm is we're, we're industry agnostic, so we sure. work with, with with salespeople all over the spectrum. And I work with companies that have, you know, leveraged technology in their businesses to build a stack of technology and all the data and all the information that brings in. A lot of that's around, you know, lead qualifying and prospecting and, and those type of things. There's some AI that is jumping into the middle of things and telling salespeople what to say. So far, it's not been very effective because people don't really like talking to robots. Um, but when I look at salespeople as a whole, I mean, my, what, I, what mm-hmm. I perceive and what I see is that it's the salesperson's inability to get out of their own way that's causing this problem. See, technology should give you information and it should allow you to spend more time with your prospect, more time being a human being. Mm-hmm. And what I, what I see for salespeople is they're putting technology between themselves and the prospect. And this is what average salespeople do. Average salespeople say, well, you know, you told me here's the system and this is prescriptive and this is the way I have to do this. But if you look at any of those sales teams, there's a group of ultra high performers, people at the very top, they're allowing that to happen. What's the difference? And I tell a story in the book about Well, and that was sort of my of, point though, is is what are the ultra high performers feel liberated to be able to do these things? Right. Well, let me I give mean, you an example. And 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 the middle the middle doesn't. So how do how do we get the middle to feel empowered to four, be, to four be billion dollar four billion dollar company? Right. Um, inside sales team, mm-hmm. um, they sell high end. I mean, they're, what they're selling, their average sells about 50 grand. So mm-hmm. they're, this is pretty, pretty big, you know, complex stuff that they're selling on the telephone. Right. And there's a group of 25 sales reps and they're not doing very well. This company has every bell and whistle technology solution you can possibly imagine mm-hmm. they can afford it. They do a tremendous job of hiring. Their assessments and the way they go through the process is fantastic. They hire really talented people who have really good degrees and are smart people. And they bring them in. And they're not doing very well. The director of sales calls me up. I've got a relationship with this company. I've had one for quite some time and says, can you help me out? Mm-hmm. I've got a problem. And he says, my sense is that my people are just using email as a way to avoid human relationships. Mm-hmm. And I went in, spent a week, watched him, and sure enough, he was right. But if you looked at the, the, the what we call the ultra performers, there were two of them on that team of 25. I mean, there were some good salespeople right. doing well, beating their quota. There's a bunch of average salespeople that were, you know, right at or around quota. And right. there were a couple of people who didn't need to be on the team anymore. But but there was these two kids. Now, these guys were like they weren't just a little bit better. They were 300 percent better than everybody else. 300 mm-hmm. percent. OK, now the difference between them and everybody else, same background, same training, same everything was that they spent more than 80% of their time talking to people. They picked up the phone. That was their default, both internally and externally. So they were not just – it wasn't just dealing with the the people that their, – their customers, the prospects they were selling to. It was also dealing with their internal people, so the people they needed to help them. You sell $50,000 on a telephone. you got to have somebody helping you deliver mm-hmm. it, right? So both things. They spent more than 80% of their time on the phone talking to people, human beings. The other group spent 80% of their time on email and text messaging and through chat and working through web stuff. That's the difference. 300% difference. The only difference between the two groups is one group 
the ultra reformers were seeking out human relationships and the other group was putting technology in between human relationships mm -hmm. and it wasn't the company the company has a very subscribed process i know it i built it sure. right i understand everything about them and it wasn't a situation where the leaders were saying oh you know here's all the data i mean that's the noise that we get from all the guys that are building this cloud-based SaaS service i mean they would prefer to have ai do everything um but but i'm talking about real world like on the floor selling stuff the leadership in the organization was begging for them to have human relationships. Now, the other thing that happens when I tell this story is people say, well, those, those guys must have been Gen Xers or boomers. No, one was 23 years old. The other was 25 years old. These were, these were guys that were right out of college. Mm -hmm. The only difference was that one group was seeking out human relationships and they were good at them and the other wasn't. Right. And so, so the question really is, how do you empower people then to, to become those ultra-high performers? They were empowered. No, this is the point. They were already empowered. Well, not by this the organization, but personally. Well, there's no personal. You have to yeah. make a choice. That you have to make a choice. Like this is the decision you make. Right. And the reason that the, the 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 folks that weren't on there, they weren't empowered, is because they weren't managing their own disruptive emotion that says, "I'm afraid of dealing with other human beings. I'm uncomfortable doing that." That is an emotional issue, mm -hmm. not an empowerment issue. And when I go to organizations, and I love this, how do we empower people? Right. I don't go to sales organizations for the most part where salespeople aren't empowered to sell. I mean, I go to sales organizations where there's a bunch of schmucks in the sales operation who are putting reports on people, and right. they've got a lot of things that are in the way that take up people's time. And when salespeople complain to me about that stuff, I just say, get over it, figure it out. This is not a nine to five job. I mean, you, if you want to make money, I can't help the guy in sales operations that's a moron is asking you to do stuff. But the but there's no salespeople anywhere that aren't empowered. To to deal with human beings. The, the difference is, is there's a mindset shift that ultra high performers make. And that is that when I'm able to influence the emotions of a buyer, I increase my win probability. And if you play the game that way, like what I'm trying to do is look at every deal in my pipe mm -hmm. and say, what's the, what's the probability I'm going to win this deal? Mm -hmm. And if it's 70% or higher, that's where I'm going to spend my time. If it's 70% or lower, what do I need to do to influence it so I move it up? Right. And so this is what I mean about, you know, from sales EQ, self-specific emotional intelligence. What sales EQ is the ability to manage your own emotions and to respond appropriately to the emotions of a buyer. That's it. Pretty simple stuff. So if you're not standing in front of customers, right? If you're not doing that, then this is a this is an emotional issue, not an empowerment issue. Now, could you put some of that on the leadership team because they're not coaching it, they're not monitoring, they're not looking at it, they're not um, in the trenches with their people? Absolutely. I mean, this is. I mean, from a coaching standpoint, leadership has to shift their focus and helping people do that. But the other thing was. You know, was was looking at these folks and saying, okay, so you're doing all this communication on the, you know, on email. Mm -hmm. Let me teach you how to manage the human relationship. So, so it's it's training. And if I took one thing from what you said, like if I if I if we pull something back, take a look at the training processes that your company has. If you're listening to this, think mm -hmm. about it. You're teaching average people how to be average. I mean, that's what most sales training is doing sure. versus teaching average people how to become ultra high performers. And that's what I mean. You know, my, I, don't, I don't see these wide variations on sales team of talent or wide variations on sales teams, except for some really small mm -hmm. companies. You know, you have variations like that. But, but when you look, start looking at decent sized organizations, they're hiring good people. But they're teaching them how to be average. I mean, they spend like sales training is let me teach you how to, how to do a 30-second elevator pitch. 
Well, there's nothing that is more of a turnoff to someone that you're trying to engage with than talking right. at them. Right. Nothing. So let me ask you a question, because I, and excuse, I had the wrong choice of words when I said empower, because it wasn't what I meant, and I know it pushed your button. Um, so what I really meant is, for somebody that's that's not ultra high performer, and they're they're looking at your book and they're saying, okay, I'm I'm average, right? What are the steps I'm gonna t- I need to take to become an ultra high performer? And that's really what I was, was driving at. Is you know, I was using empowering, empowering themselves is is you know the way to say that. So what are the how are they gonna? What's the lesson they're gonna take away from the book? You know, the key things that say, okay, here's the steps I can start taking to become an ultra high performer myself. Well, I think it, it begins with a managing your own emotions. So, and I call them disruptive emotions or destructive emotions because, you know, fear is a disruptive emotion. Sure. If you're an introvert and you're really good at listening people, but you're afraid to go get new people into your pipeline, you're going to fail. I mean, I don't care how good you are at relationships. If you're not willing to go get more people in your pipeline or more opportunities in your pipeline, you're going to fail. So, so it begins with, you know, developing your own sales EQ, which is empathy. So learning how to tune into emotions. Um, it is, it is self-awareness, which is a big deal. So who am I? <coughs> what are my emotions? How are they driving me? How are they get, <coughs> getting in my way? And if mm-hmm. you want to talk, let's take a look at empowerment. That would be part of it. How am I, you know, what am I doing that's getting my own way? Um, there's drive, which is um, getting your own mindset shifted towards the activities that you have to do in sales. And that's optimism, you know, competitiveness and, um, and, and need for achievement, which mm-hmm. are the three components of drive. Uh, and, um, and in the middle of all of that, you know, there is, um, there is this, this, this need for self-control. So how am I managing my emotions when they begin to run amok? So it begins there. Now to get there, you have to understand how the brain works. And we spend a good deal of the, mm-hmm. of the book teaching you, like, here's what's happening inside of your head. Right. And oh, by the way, here's what's happening inside of your prospect's head. So first of all, you have to understand why this is happening. If you understand that intellectually and you have those components, empathy, self-control, uh, self-awareness and drive, and you start working on those things, that's how you begin moving yourself, your mindset towards ultra performance. From there, you have to understand how your prospects are working, how your stakeholders and buyers are working. So I understand what's happening in their head. What are their cognitive biases? What are the heuristics or the middle shortcuts they use to make decisions? Why do they do things? And once you understand that, then you can start putting in influence frameworks that allow you in tough emotional situations to get control of the conversation and keep control of the conversation, flip the buyer script and pull them towards you. So they're working with you. At the same time, you have to match master the core mechanisms of sales. Sales is still a system. It's still a process. Mm -hmm. And there's three basic processes, sales process, buying process, decision process. You have to align those things, and then you have to master those processes. Things like asking better questions, I mean, which we talk about all the time. But how do you ask how do you ask better questions? How do you do better discovery? How do you advance deals through your pipeline? How do you get buyers engaged, test engagement? How do you get micro commitments and how do those micro commitments add into a bigger commitment? So you have to, you have to A, understand your emotions, B, understand the emotions and the brain works of your prospect. You have to C, understand the systems that allow you to manage all of this in a purely emotional and irrational environment so that you maintain control and you can influence the outcome or the win probability of your deals. And and then you have to get good at and master those systems so that the systems allow you to take control of the disruptive emotions that are inherent in this artificial environment of a commercial relationship between a buyer and a seller. 
Okay. So how does someone develop the self-awareness? I mean, do you have an assessment tool? I mean, how do you recommend? Because you know, people, yeah, you, are, people mean, are generally, oftentimes, not very good, at least at first pass, of being pragmatic in this way that they assess their, themselves. We're terrible at that. So yeah, I mean, in, in the book, there's some there's some links in there to get to some assessments. But yeah, I mean, you can go take a disk assessment. I mean, you can go into Google right now and type in disk, and there's a dozen places you can go buy a disk assessment. Um, Myers Briggs, um, you know, we do a sales drive assessment that's, mm-hmm. that's focused on drive. So you can do an assessment. Your company probably has one of those things. One of the things I recommend is a 365 review. If you work for a bigger company, go to your your manager or go to HR and ask them if they'll if they'll invest in that for you. If you've been there for a while a lot of them will they're not cheap um they're but 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 they're great and if you can't get your company to do it go go pay for it i've done this before it's really a great way of gaining awareness because what you get is a coach who interviews all the people around you Mm -hmm. and they give you a different perspective so it's like having your own focus group right um at the same time you know you want to have a coach and there's a reason for example why which it's we're coming up to the Masters. I live in Augusta, so mm-hmm. the Masters is coming. It's one of the reasons I love to go out to the driving range at the Masters is because I watch these 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 you know elite golfers who have their coaches next to them giving them feedback because because the coach can see what they can't see. Right. So you want to you know go out and ask people for help and find coaches. It could be your manager. It could be someone else. It could be a mentor. But find someone who can shine a mirror and show you what you really look like. And and one of the things that I I give salespeople advice all the time on is go to your leader. Sit down with your leader and ask for feedback. And this is important for millennials who really want feedback but are often afraid to go ask Mm -hmm. for it. But you have to go in prepared. You can't just sit down with your leader and say, hey, give me feedback. You want to go in and say, can you give me feedback specifically on these things? Because leaders don't always know what to do either. And and so in the middle of all of that, you begin to gain self-awareness, but you also have to understand the cognitive biases that get in the way of that. You know, so, um, so for example, we have something called sunk cost fallacy that mm. impacts pipelines, right? So I've worked really, really, really hard on a deal. And everybody's telling me the deal's a loser, but I keep investing in it because I have this, this thing that happens at my subconscious level that says, if I've made an investment in something, my brain says, you've, you've already put so much effort into it, you need to keep putting effort into it. And if you don't understand why your brain is doing that intellectually, it's hard to interrupt or disrupt that right. process. So best part of what's in the book is we give you those 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 biases those cognitive biases that get in the way of that so that if you understand them intellectually what can you do to handle that and then finally one of the things i recommend people especially around self-awareness is we have a um a process called um goal sheeting and you can you can download this free it's freegoalsheet.com freegoalsheet.com there's no cost there's no there's nothing just go get the thing we've given i don't probably almost a million of them away mm-hmm. but you can go there and then go through the process of writing down what you want and this kind of goes back to the conversation that you and I were having pre-show, which is, you know, like, why would I spend so much time on the road? I know what I want. I know who right. I am. I know what I like. Right. So if I understand those things, it's a lot easier for me to um, be aware of what drives me and what, what are my motivations. And it's we, we take you step by step through the process. And I think from an awareness standpoint, that's one of the, the core pieces. Does that, does that answer your question? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and the second piece you talk about in the book is acquired intelligence, which is is a big issue for a lot of salespeople, which is you call it the thirst for learning. And this is a part that's that really is a stumbling block for a lot of a lot of salespeople is, is willing to invest in themselves. 
Well, I, well, you know, we we talk about four intelligences in sales, and you know, one is an in intellectual intelligence, which is IQ. Mm-hmm. Um, you have techno, tech, you know, technological intelligence, which is the ability to use, or the you know, the, I guess the the skill of being able to use technology to enhance human relationships. Right. Emotional intelligence, which we're talking about, you know, mm-hmm. managing your emotions and you know, responding appropriately to the emotions of other people. And there's a there's acquired intelligence, and we call it AQ. But acquired intelligence is um, all the knowledge that you get, the training that your company gives you, listening to this podcast, which I mean, you've got 400 episodes of this podcast. You have a university level degree if you listen to all the mm-hmm. people on your podcast. Um, if you uh, read books like Sales EQ or Fanatical Prospecting or any of your books, that's part of investing and building yourself. And intellectual intelligence, your your intellect, how smart you are, is only made relevant with acquired knowledge, with with, right. the, with the knowledge that you put in there. So you have to do both of those things. So some of the awareness that you may have when you start looking at you know disruptive emotions are what are your disruptive emotions that get in the way of you listening to an audiobook or reading a book or listening to a podcast or attending a seminar? What is it about you that says, hey, I already know everything. I don't need to know anything else. Mm-hmm. And if you can disrupt that emotion, if you can get in the way of that, um, then you will begin investing yourself and making yourself better, which is if you think about people who have high emotional intelligence, if you go meet those folks and you know them when you see them, you'll notice one of the things that they do is that they're constantly putting new stuff in. They're constantly investing in themselves. Right. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) not to pat myself on the back, but the reason I do this podcast in large part is how much I learn. I mean, selfishly, right? I mean, much as you it's do, true. too. You do a podcast, you're writing. I mean, the process of writing a book is an incredible learning experience. I mean, you get the benefit of being able to, you know, afterwards of being able to teach people this great stuff. But, yeah, I mean, selfishly, there's there's also a motivation for writing and creating. There's no doubt. I mean, if you look in the back of this book and the um, in the notes, I don't know. I think we have we cited at least a hundred academic papers and books, and that's just a portion of what I read. I think I read two hundred books writing this writing this one book. Right. And I didn't read every one of them cover to cover. So let's you know let's be clear about that. But um, but I learned so much writing this. I mean, things about myself that I didn't sure. know. And I became a, I became better. My emotional intelligence improved just in the process of writing the book because I, I started – I mean just sitting down with my wife and went, you know what? I do this all the time. I'm always doing this. And I didn't realize that my subconscious was driving a behavior that was disruptive and destructive. And by the way, that's one of the beautiful things about having a 365 review mm-hmm. is that there are people that will – you know, the people around you say, yeah, Jeb, you do these things and these things hurt me in this way. Right. And if you understand that and you know that – that you can make a change. Excellent. All right. Well, we could talk forever uh, about this, but uh, we're going to have to cut it short. So, Jeb, tell people they can find out more about the book and about you. Absolutely. You can get the book at Barnes & Noble. You can get the book at Amazon, Books A Million, um, CEO Read, really anywhere that you can find the book, uh, you can get it anywhere. And it will be in um, in, in all um, 200 and I, I don't know, I think there's, there's, oh, there's 600 Barnes & Noble stores across the country, but it'll there's, be in every single Barnes & Noble store. There's still that many? I think there's still that many out <laughs> okay. there, and uh, Barnes and Noble is um, is working really hard to to sell the book. And then you can catch me anywhere. I'm at Sales Gravy in most places. So on Twitter, on YouTube, you can grab my YouTube channel. On Facebook, I'm at Sales Gravy. Instagram, I'm at Sales Gravy. And then you just type my name in, Jeb Blunt, uh, B L O U N T at, at uh, LinkedIn, and you'll find me there as well. All right, Jeb, thank you very much for being on the show. 
Thank you. And friends, thank you for spending your time with us today. Remember, make it part of your day every day to deliberately learn something new to help you accelerate your success. One way to do that is make sure you don't miss any of my conversations with top business experts like my guest today, Jeb Blunt, who shared his expertise about how to accelerate the growth of your business. So until next time, this is Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone. Thanks for listening to the show. If you like what you heard and want to make sure you don't miss any upcoming episodes, please subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or Stitcher.com. For more information about today's guests, visit my website at andypaul.com.